Hello and welcome back to the Quack Out Pod. I am Charlie, joined by Reed. Reed, uh, give us give us your initial thoughts on this win over Washington State. Was it closer than it seemed, or was it uh, not as close as it seemed? Uh, I think it was. For me, it was three uh, really good quarters. Second quarter was kind of unfortunate to let them come back into it like that but I mean overall we thought this game would be pretty close we hoped that Oregon would survive and I think that um, pulling away like they did in the second half made it a, a pretty good performance in my eyes exactly yeah um, as many people have pointed out this game could have been 45 17 uh, or even more than that quite honestly um, if not for a couple things going differently but uh i don't know i mean if another top 10 team put up this performance and won the game by 14 points against a you know fringe bowl team um i wouldn't really bat an eye you know like oh okay you know maybe they messed up a little bit if i looked into the box score a little more and saw the situational fumbles and things like that that happened i wouldn't really be concerned about that team going forward so um overall like on the field what are some things that stood out to you Uh, i think for me i mean the biggest story uh was yet again another really good performance from byron cardwell um i think that's what i came away with just like wow, again, this guy looks like he's going to be a really, really good back for Oregon, and he's only a freshman. Um, so that was that was huge, um, kind of for long term, I guess, more. I think otherwise, you know, um, it wasn't – I didn't learn a ton about the team. I just thought that they delivered a pretty solid performance uh, against a Wazoo team that's tough to evaluate, honestly, in my mind. I think um, – it's kind of funny because you can slice it two ways. You can say, well, Oregon just kind of dominated um, or at least, you know, thoroughly controlled a game against the second team in a Power 5 division, and that sounds mm-hmm. pretty impressive. Uh, on the other hand, you can say that, you know, they played a 5-5 five and five football team within two scores. <laughs> so I think uh, it kind of says more about the Pac-12 than anything. But... Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Speaking of things that <laughs> said more about the Pac-12 than anything, um, we'll just get these out of the way right now. ESPN treats the Pac-12 as a joke. We all know this by now, but it's it's just really invalidating to, first of all, hear Rod Gilmore's voice at all on your game. Uh, but <laughs> second of all, to have the broadcast quality look like it was filmed in like 1980 or something. Uh Wilner was mad about this. Gonzano was mad about this. Everyone who watched the game on TV was mad about this. Um, Oregon fans are not. Like, can we just stop, like, not holding ESPN accountable for this kind of stuff? Because it's, it's bullshit, and it happens every week at this point. Um, happened against Stanford. It happened against Cal. And it literally played a – it made a difference in the game, uh, the lack of cameras did. Mm-hmm. Uh, AB's touchdown run obviously not being a touchdown or not being ruled a touchdown whatever you want to call it uh, after the game he said he thought it was a touchdown uh, but he, he said something like it is what it is um, 
And then the Pac-12 needs to start taking themselves a little more seriously. Uh, read these referees, man. It's every damn week at this point. Uh, and I, on the rewatch I did this morning, I was trying to pick out instances where, like, oh, maybe Wazoo would have a gripe with this here. Uh, you know, it can't just happen to us, right? Like, every team must be feeling this way, screwed over by Pac-12 refs. I, I legitimately couldn't find stuff that uh, Wazoo would have been mad about, so... I don't know, man. Do you have any comment on either of those elements of this game? Yeah, I think that the um, the Anthony Brown fumble was just really frustrating on the goal line. Uh, it's especially frustrating just because we know the deal with Oregon always seems like for some reason something happens where we're just not able to turn two possession leads into three possession leads. Uh, and a lot of time it's been self-inflicted, but this time it really felt like and honestly looked like Oregon put the ball in the end zone to go up three possessions and end the game. And the broadcast crew even said things on the call like, yeah, you you know, it feels like he got in. You have a suspicion that he got in or something, but you don't know for sure. And it's like, it's 2021. Like, <laughs> that shouldn't be a thing. We should have a camera angle that tells us if we feel like he got in then there should be a camera angle that shows that he got in. Um, And so that was really frustrating. Uh, Luckily, it didn't end up mattering much at all. Defense showed up, forced a field goal. Offense comes back out and and takes control and puts the game away pretty much. Um, So, you know, I'm not losing sleep over it or anything, but it certainly was frustrating and could have been really frustrating if the game had uh gotten closer or you know gotten gone a bit more scary and i mean something else that again at home you might have been able to see better than me in the the stadium but um it seemed like there were quite a few uh holding penalties that went uncalled Mm -hmm. against wazoo i believe they logged a total of zero in the entire game or they had like one on a kickoff but yeah i mean there's (laughs) There's ways to stop Kayvon Thibodeau without cheating. And, I mean, at this rate, the amount that they're holding him and Dorless and Popo, whoever whoever is deciding to break through the line on any given play, that's cheating at that point. Like, if you're just hugging guys and you can see arms up and you can see, like, jerseys being pulled, that's holding. Like, at, 100%. Some, point, at some point, like, some sort of uh, genuine, like, care for the game has to take over right for once when you stop doing it but no it kept going um and the referees were allowing it all night it was very frustrating yeah i think that's kind of funny because most people think about you know what are the refs going to be and the the sort of first place people go usually is how did they call hand fighting between receivers and corners how mm-hmm. how tight are they calling that but i think for oregon the holding is becoming like a real thing. Like, um, depending what crew Oregon gets for this Utah game, for instance, like Oregon is going to cause a lot of holds by the book uh, that some refs will call and some refs will let play on. And it's like if, if a ref wants to call it, he can find a hold on more plays than not probably when Kayvon and Dorless are rushing the passer. Like, mm-hmm. Um, you can rack up a, a free, you know, 80 yards in a game if the refs are going to call it. Uh, 
but if they just really want to let people play, um, then you don't get that benefit. And, and it's also just going to neutralize Oregon's pass rush because there's not much Kayvon can really do, uh, when, I mean, he does, he still does some things, but, um, it definitely makes it harder when, when the other team's holding you. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, enough complaining about the referees. Let's complain about the team's play instead. Uh, what are some things that stood out to you as a lot weaker? I mean, the secondary seems like the obvious answer just because of the couple big plays that were given up. But honestly, I thought, I think that group even played very well overall. Like, honestly, apart from the fumbles, man, I'm really having a tough time like pointing out stuff that went terribly wrong in this game at all. Yeah, I think that, um, I think, you know, I mean, I expected Washington State to have some success through the air. Uh, and I honestly felt like Oregon did pretty well. There's, there's a couple plays where um, it didn't work out. I think the, uh, you have that um, third and third and long or third and six, I guess it was kind of late in the first half on, on Wazoo's second touchdown drive. Um, and Oregon's in a great spa- spot to hold them to a field goal, and Delore just throws a good ball in there, kind of going to the sideline inside the five. Um, and that's a play you'd like to have back. You'd like to get off the field there. Uh, I think on defense, an- another issue was the edges. Um, both yes. both yes. Funa and Ajax, they're just a few times, and Borgie is a good back, you know, I'll admit it, but a few times where... Borgie just popped outside the edge, gets it on him, and turns, you know, what should be a two-yard gain or even a tackle for a loss if a really good guy is out there stopping that. Um, And he just gets to turn the corner and turn it into an 11-yard gain. Sometimes it was on third downs that allowed them to move the chain. So that was a real problem. Uh, Yeah, they kept running those outside draw plays on third and long or sometimes inside draws, and they were getting huge success on it. I mean... Yeah. Uh, for the amount they ran, the draw play was probably their most successful, like overall. <laughs> Obviously, it's a very situational thing, so you can't call it every down. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think the defense eventually held firm, and we'll talk about why in a little bit. But that is a good thing to point out. Like the edge was not um, being held very well on a lot of downs. Anything else? Yeah, I, I think just in general, this team has a bit of a frustrating thing where there's too many plays where i feel like there are five oregon players within close proximity to the ball and somehow the ball carrier for the other team finds a way to get you know eight more yards out of it um i think part of what turned around was especially in the screen game there are a few big ones in the second half on on third downs where oregon completely sniffed out screen passes that they hadn't in the first half um and those were key plays that I think shifted it. Um, but yeah, in general, it's you just got to make the tackle when a guy's around you like that. Um, but, you know, I mean, Wazoo is not a bad team. Uh, we talked about it in the preview and everything, um, especially since getting Delora back. They've been good. You know, they beat a, a pretty good Arizona State team last week, obviously, soundly. They played close with a BYU team that's at least solid um so i think that you know all in all it, it's tough for me to be too critical of of the performance i think 
there's definitely some pieces to work on, but um, you walk away and say, hey, they they were able to control it and never really got as close as it maybe felt at times. Um, and, you know, you move on nine and one, which is obviously where you want to be right now. Definitely. Um, and we'll get into the timeline in a little bit here. A couple more general things I want to point out uh, just about the game overall. We talked about Cardwell. He was great. Anthony Brown was amazing in this game. Um, obviously, the fumble was unfortunate, but other than that, he had no mistakes. And again, the fumble itself is like up to interpretation as to whether or not that's his fault. Um, mm. Just a really accurate night. Uh, started a little bit shakily in the passing game, but he ironed it out pretty quickly. Ended up 17 of 22 for 135 and a touchdown through the air. 17 rushes for 123 yards as our leading rusher on the ground. That's a 7.2 mm-hmm. average. That's uh, it's pretty damn good. That um, was big. Like, when you're carrying the ball 47 times and get a 6.5 average, you're going to win. I mean, if you don't fumble more than twice, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Die had a down night by his standards, and he still had 18 for 88 yards and a touchdown. Um, and that's a five yard average. So overall, like I, my point being, I think AB was great. He did it with his legs. He did it with his arm. Um, and we found some decent glimmers of downfield passing for once, which was kind of nice. We'll get into that probably a little bit later. Um, the last thing I want to point out before we jump into timeline is, uh, only six O linemen used in this game. Obviously Ryan walk, we know was out, um, but Jaramillo was kind of the sixth man over there, and he still only had, uh, like, 33 snaps. Um, mm-hmm. Essentially just replacing uh, Steve, uh, George Moore at left tackle for 19 snaps, and then Stephen Jones at right guard for 14 snaps. Um, the rest of it was Bass, Sala, and Forsyth all the way at the tackles and center. So, uh, yep, really interesting rotation all around, but... Um, you got any other general stuff you want to point to before we uh, look at some drives? I think uh, I'll just echo your point on the O-line and say also just how well that group has been playing, uh, especially mm-hmm. in in the run uh, game. I mean, when you have those three guys uh, in Brown, Cardwell, and Die all have so much success on the ground and the number you pointed to, 47 carries, uh, for six and a half average. I mean, that's on the O-line, really. Um, they've turned into a really good unit, uh, again, especially in run blocking. Uh, and that's that's something that really helps you carry your way through conference play as, as the slate moves on. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. One general thing I want to mention about these drives uh, – Reed Wazoo had one drive this entire game that was longer than seven yards. Um, they had two drives that were over, uh, or sorry, three. Well, if you count the garbage time drive, wait, longer than seven than plays? S- you mean seven plays? Yeah, as, yeah. He said yards. seven yards. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you guys can't tell, uh, we were <laughs> we were up there pretty late last night in the box. Uh, got home around one thirty last night. And now we're recording it uh, noon on Sunday. Jesus, noon already. Anyways, um, only two three and outs for the defense, but there were a lot of like six and outs or four and outs. 
Um, overall, I mean, this one started off with a bang pretty quickly. Uh, the two plays in quick succession. Um, how nervous were you when this first 70-yard pass uh, popped off? Well, so here's the thing is being on uh, the well East Coast, East-ish Coast, um, and not having a cable package, I'm relying on you know sketchy websites and the uh, <laughs> the Ole Miss A&M game, I believe it was, is carrying right. carries into the first like seven minutes of this game. So I actually am just following the first three drives on Twitter. <laughs> and uh espn gamecast um so i was pretty well I, I didn't even know that the first one was a like the first play was a touchdown uh ruled on the field initially until afterwards um i was just like oh 70 yarder cheese and then i was like saw the fumble recovery i was like well that's good and then i saw the three and out i was like oh okay what happened there and i'm like oh there's a false start okay and yeah i was just trying to piece it together really <laughs> yeah so. man. i mean you, we couldn't have had two like more different uh emotions in those two plays uh calvin jackson jr on the second play from scrimmage obviously goes 70 yards um from Jaden delora and then on the next play Delora like gets flushed out of the pocket, scrambles out to his left, sees an opening, guns for the end zone, looked like he was going to get it. Um, and then at the last possible second, Jamal Hill like taps the ball out of his hand and it, it there was no shot at anyone recovering this ball um, mm-hmm. because he was headed towards the end zone. And I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen the replays by now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it just barely gets knocked out and flies like over the pylon out for a touchback. Um, it was it was pretty sweet. Uh, unfortunately, as soon as we get the ball, a false start kind of kills our drive uh, before we can even have our first snap on offense. Um, we had runs of four from Diane Brown and then a six-yard pass to Ferguson, which was close to the first down, but I think this is this we can still qualify this as a common theme of uh, on late downs throwing it to somebody who is not at the sticks. Um, and we'll get into the check down yes. thing a little bit later. But <laughs> Definitely a theme. Definitely a theme. Yeah, um, that, was, that was pretty annoying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, honestly, just going back to like that, that Delora play too, my thing is just, like I've talked about it, uh, going into this game and everything, I don't care much about style points right now it's just about like surviving and so it's like if they're gonna give us that break i'll take it was how Mm -hmm. i felt you know it's kind of like we got bailed out of seven points that we probably should have given up um in a game that could be close it it felt good to get that break um not have the pac-12 after dark stuff uh go against (laughs) us of course that's the favor is returned reset button like that (laughs) yeah right um all right so wazoo gets the ball back uh like i said we essentially reset the game they have it on their own 30 um they get uh seven yards on first down and then or sorry on second down and on third uh kt comes up with his first big play of the game um with a seven yard sack on delora 
Ducks get the ball back. Nice little three and out after looking not so good on the first scripted drive. Um, real quick, this is something that not just for Oregon fans, but like in general, I don't think people are paying enough attention to or maybe don't understand about football. Um, the offense should score on the first drive pretty much every time because this is the drive where you've had an entire week or in Wazoo's case, two weeks uh, to prepare for it. You know exactly what the defense is going to throw at you um, situationally. And you're able to, again, literally script and write out your entire first drive. Uh, yeah. Worked a little better for Wazoo than you would expect, um, getting the 70-yard pass play. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we saw Tennessee do it against Georgia this week. Like, they score on their scripted drive. People think they're, you know, the dogs might be in trouble. And then, well, you know, <laughs> they essentially allow a field goal for the rest of the game before garbage time. So anyways, right. our, our defense really stepped up and that was the first step in that. Um, Reed, do you want to talk about this next drive where the ducks uh, get on the board first? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the story of that drive, 11 plays, 75 yards for me is, is Anthony Brown's legs. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you started off, you go to a third and four Brown rips off an eight yard run. Again, you have the ball now at the Oregon 40. Brown rips off a 13-yard run. Um, completes a short pass. Then he rips off a 12-yard run. Uh, and now you're pretty close to the red zone here. Hits a big play to Devin Williams. Um, and then, you know, you're at, you're at the goal line pretty much. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that that threat is huge. I think that's one of the things that works best in Joe Moorhead's offense because we know how much he loves quarterback power. It's really one of, you know, the signature plays in his offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think this was just – it's it's Anthony Brown doing what he can do and kind of maximizing his skill set by executing well. Um like we know, he's he's not going to throw uh, at, at least a bunch of successful deep passes. He can hit some every once in a while, but um, this is kind of the recipe. You stay ahead of the sticks is the big thing. Um, you get what you can on the ground. You get some good chunk plays with the quarterback running and then completes one good ball to, to Devin Williams, and you're pretty much right there. Um, and I think... You know that that's kind of the theme as well. Like you said, with um, with checkdowns, you know, on third and longs. Well, yes, that's a problem. But the way you prevent that is by staying ahead of the sticks. Um, mm-hmm. And when this offense does that, it's really successful. Uh, there's a drive kind of late in the game, and, and we'll get to it when it's there. But um, it was one of those moments where uh, I think it was a second and ten, and the flag comes out. Oregon has the ball. And it looks like a false start. And immediately I go, well, this drive's screwed pretty much. (laughs) Second and 15, like, I don't think we're getting out of this. And then they flip it to the defensive uh, delay of game for interfering with signals or whatever. And it's like, oh, second and five, we're we're definitely going to (laughs) convert that. And that kind of, like, showed everything you need to know about this offense. As soon as it goes to, to, you know, behind the sticks, you're really screwed. But if you're ahead of the sticks, this offense is actually really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. That's how I felt about it. 
I completely agree. And again, for some reason, well, we know why, but uh, it's not for, for no reason. But um, we really don't like to open up the playbook for downfield passing, uh, even on like those second and long plays. Uh, mm-hmm. The Ducks still typically like to run it and then set it up for a third and medium or third and short, um, which I guess they're comfortable doing, even though, I mean, I would honestly rather just take like a quick shot on second down in that situation and then do something else. But anyways, die caps off that uh, drive with a one yard touchdown. Um, that was after the third and seven pass to Johnny Johnson. Uh, just notable. Cause that was the second catch of the drive. Um, after missing the first half against Washington, he comes back and has been solid since then. Again, though, it's always tough to talk about these receivers cause you're almost never able to use like raw numbers as justification or explanation for their good games um you kind of just have to focus on oh yeah that was a good play like that was a good great catch um because you just know we're not going to get them the ball uh as consistently as maybe we should um yeah still still no 100 yard receiving games this whole year i think from a single receiver yeah 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 it's kind of interesting so at this point uh wazoo gets the ball back they're down seven Again, since the Delora fumble, they hadn't really done anything. And what do you know? First play of the drive, uh, Delora throws an ill-advised ball over the top, um, and Verone picks it off uh, at the Washington State 23. Or, sorry. It ended up at the 40 uh, because of the face mask. But um, Verone had a great game. He also had some antics in the press conference. Some of you guys saw changed his name to general. So we really got to gas up that nickname now. Um, yep. He's the general back there and he made a great play. Once again, his fifth pick of the year tied for first in the FBS um, seems to be holding up just fine with him and Happel back there. Yep. Yep. Uh, Verone's Verone's really uh a serious playmaker for this team, um, a leader, obviously. Uh, I think, yeah, it was just another good play by him uh, that, I mean, we'll get into what happens for the rest of this first half, but at that moment, it's kind of like, okay, we forced two turnovers. Um, now, like, let's let's just close this game out right here uh, is the mindset. Um, and, yeah, man. In yeah. those, in, fi- in Washington State's, five plays after the 70 yard gain uh they had one successful play and two turnovers (laughs) so this defense was taking over the game at this point um again only like a small sample size thus far but uh the offense couldn't really do anything um it was kind of similar to the washington game in that respect like as soon as we got out of our own way um, we knew we would be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were. Byron gets 24 yards on the first play um, down inside the red zone. Uh, Brown gets five yards. There's an incompletion and then completes it to Travis Dye with this beautiful play where uh, Wazoo brings the house on the blitz and Dye just kind of sneaks out of the backfield like he's about to go block somebody and then he just leaks out. Gets the wide open touchdown pass. Yeah. Um, Again, man, people, <laughs> like, most of the time, if a team 
use their offensive coordinator being gone as an excuse, I would tell them that's BS. Uh, but week after week, Moorhead proves that he is an invaluable part of this team uh, as currently constructed. So, 100%. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Wazoo gets the ball back. They have another short drive, just six plays. Uh, they face third down twice, third and long twice. The first time they get it on a 17-yard pass. The second time uh, it's a third straight incompletion for Delora, and they punt it away again. Um, again, that's now, uh, what, 12, 13 plays since the 70 yarder. Um, and they only added one more successful one. So again, this defense had taken over the game at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. I was not worried about the end result whatsoever. Uh, and that's the end of the first quarter right there. (laughs) So we can speed it up a little bit, but, um, things were looking pretty rosy for the ducks at this point uh we kept moving the ball until we faced third and nine um on our sixth play of the drive this is one of those check downs that you really don't want to see i actually you know what let me back up to the play before that um this is a call i completely forgot to complain about before we jumped into the timeline read uh troy franklin catches a ball on the sideline way down the field to the right this is the call i have the least amount of say about but uh was this a catch no it wasn't it wasn't Damn. Damn. yeah he drops it um yeah that's unfortunate uh the stadium certainly thought it was a catch and i did too for quite yeah a bit. his his foot got in but he kind of like catches it and rolls over and the ball hits the ground uh Sadly, you'd yeah, it's it's unfortunate because you'd really love to see Troy come down with that, and obviously he's capable of it. Um, but yeah, I think this drive is kind of uh, you take a shot there and and you kind of have it. Um, ball could have been a little better, catch still could have been made, doesn't work out. But ultimately, I'm fine with it because you get the ball to midfield and you're ready to you know you're gonna get a little punt and pin wazoo back deep and that's exactly what happens and with how the defense has been playing you feel pretty good about your ability to get the ball right back in decent field position yep we also in that drive we had another ab run for a first down uh on third Mm -hmm. down which i think is notable um so yeah you're exactly right we flip the field get them down to the 11 their own 11 yard line um borgie gets them out of it pretty quickly but uh the drive still stalls out um after a tackle for loss. I can't remember who had that one uh, on their second down play. Second and two turned into third and seven, basically, is what I'm saying. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they completed, it was their turn to complete a pass short of the sticks. Um, and we get the ball back uh, at our own 30. Two plays later, Travis Dye fumbles. <laughs> and this is where the entire momentum of, of the first half swings, uh, with nine minutes to go in the second quarter. Um, Reed, are you like one of those people who was asking him to wear gloves after this for the upteenth time, or was it just at this point it is what I, it is for die with me? Yeah, I don't. I just don't care about the gloves. I don't really want to hear about the gloves. I think it's it's funny to just comment on the appearance of it, but like people who actually complain about 
it affecting his fumbling. It's just not going to happen. He's talked about it. He tried to, he put on gloves, I think, against Wazoo last year and fumbled with gloves. Um, it's, yeah. <laughs> for me, it's just like, you just can't fumble there. Uh, it completely changes the momentum of this game. Um, it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, in it, your own territory as well. Uh, and Wazoo gets a short field. In, yeah. Not instantly it, scores, but. Yeah, did you see the fumble score. too? It's kind of weird. He, he kind of just is running through a hole and he kind of hits. kind of like a butt fumble a little bit. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, <laughs> dude, that. I don't know. A fumbles are one thing when you're running and like a defender comes in and just kind of perfectly places a club on the ball and it's like okay yeah there's a lot of power being exerted on the ball in like a very quick moment yeah or someone um, like blatantly rips it out like just yeah with their hands but when you are bumping your own offensive lineman and that's enough to completely like jar the bar ball loose and have it roll down the field for 10 yards it's just like really can't happen um yeah. The, yeah this one is Oregon shooting itself in the foot not wazoo doing anything exceptionally good um they do force a ton of fumbles i believe it's like almost two a game or something like that uh yeah they had the best clip in the pac-12 um and obviously they for, well quote-unquote forced uh multiple in this game as well but um yeah that that one was a tough tough one to concede especially because you give wazoo short field for an offense that should be lacking for confidence at that point um they punch it in with just six plays uh 40 yards or whatever um just again kind of demoralizing like oh here we go again like the ducks just shooting themselves in the foot against an inferior opponent at home uh, and then it's also here we go again in terms of playing Wazoo. Like, it's always something with these pesky Cougars that we just fuck up. Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just one play where I don't, everyone obviously wants Oregon to put their foot on the gas. That's what all the fans are talking about. Uh, yeah. We've gotten 14 point leads so many times and let it, let teams come back into the game. And it's just the same thing again. And this time it happens on one play. Um, kind of shifts the whole thing. And it's unfortunate because I really feel like if you don't fumble there all of a sudden, um, I mean, Oregon at the least is going to punt the ball and pin Wazoo back deep again. Mm-hmm. And with how the defense had been playing and their confidence, you know, maybe Wazoo gets a drive in there, but it it feels like Oregon is on pace to, you know, hold Wazoo under... 15 or something in the game like this defense is really doing well uh and the momentum shifts and and wazoo gained some confidence because Dolores seemed really shaken too early in this game mm-hmm. um he really did yeah it Despite didn't seem that like big play usually that yeah negate that but... yeah it didn't seem like he wanted anything to do with cave getting a, a open rush on him and um yeah, he just seemed like he didn't have the confidence, really. And honestly, I think that's a big part of the recipe to beat Wazoo because their offense is so based on being in rhythm, uh, mm-hmm. getting the ball out quick and all of that. And, and you have to be kind of have a 
gunslinger confident mentality to do that stuff um and so when when Oregon had him rattled it felt like they're in a really good spot and and this fumble serves to completely change that definitely um Oregon gets the ball back after Wazoo gets on the board 14-7 at this point uh quick three and out including the only sack of the game allowed by the offensive line and then another Anthony Brown check down to uh, the line of scrimmage instead of the sticks uh, on third and 12 (laughs) to Travis die. Just, it's exhausting, man. And on this play, especially I, I noticed that like, he didn't really seem to survey many options. I'm not exactly a, I mean, I'm I'm no QB analyst or anything like that, but uh, from what I could see, it didn't really look like, he was keen on throwing it anywhere else. So I don't know, maybe that's just like a confidence thing. Maybe that's like a not, maybe it's a poor play design and Wazoo just really had it covered all night. But uh, it seems like a lot of teams have it covered because, I mean, he wasn't open is the thing. Like there was no shot this was going for a first down. Um, So yeah, again, it's almost better if you just like, take a bomb at that point because if it gets picked it's basically like a punt or i mean just run for it it had been going pretty well so far like i don't know stretch it out give a high low something like something different because whatever we're doing on third downs in the passing game is not working right now yeah it just i mean it's again you get behind the sticks this time this was one of the moments that the offensive line looked really bad on that second down it felt like it was on them and there were a few rushers in there um but third and 12 for whatever reason there's just i have no confidence in this offense's ability to convert those um doesn't and and we don't know whether there's something there anthony brown isn't doing or what it is but there just seems like there's not an effective play call that's that's there to have any success on a third and long and that's really frustrating um like you said i mean you have a guy like devin williams just throw a ball up um yeah. to have him run 30 yards downfield and throw it up and you know have have jalen red do a crossing route and one of the you know whichever matchup is better just throw one uh and worst case it's a punt or you know either you get a catch maybe you get bailed out with a pass interference like a lot of good things can happen, uh, and like you said, I mean, nothing good can possibly happen from no. the check down to Travis Dye. It's just like there's a 0% chance he gains more than three yards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you're really banking on like a historically bad missed tackle. Uh, yeah. That kind of thing to happen. Um, and I mean, Wazoo's not a great defense, but they can certainly make that play. Um, so to round out the first half, uh, this is where Wazoo puts together their best, um, drive of the game. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's pretty easy to say that, uh, first and 10 from their own 27 though, on the first play of this drive, Jason Jones gets his first sack as a duck, right? I don't think he's had another one before this. Yeah. That I can remember. I think it's his first. That's big. He's yeah, a guy that was who's, an awesome play. Yeah. Yeah, that was really cool to see. Uh you obviously we know his body physically. Um I mean, he's just kind of that that huge uh huge force that's like if if 
Oregon has a star defensive tackle on their team uh, or a star, you know, interior defensive lineman um, that can kind of be an absolute game wrecker. It's it's him from a body perspective. I mean, obviously we tout Dorless, but there's Jason Jones is just a huge, massive human being who, if he yeah, plays up yeah. to his potential, it's tough for anyone else to match it. And kind of going back on him too, his his recruitment's kind of interesting because he's a guy who was kind of uh, changing between offensive and defensive line. He's committed to Alabama at some point, um, and he also kind of has a he had a five star rating at one point too early in his cycle. I think he dealt with some injuries and stuff. Bama wasn't sure if they wanted him at offensive or defensive line. Um, but ultimately, I think this is the type of this kind of a dream scenario for um, Joe Salve, who's been good in development, uh, for Oregon to pick a guy up like this um, with the chance to transform his body. Uh, he's he's a guy who could be a real star on this team if he kind of keeps his development going in the next few years yeah definitely uh for reference jones is listed at 6'6 320 um that's fucking huge even compared to a guy like dorless who's 6'3 284 um, right yeah <laughs> like he's objectively bigger than than brandon dorless obviously dorless is uh filled out a little better so far and i mean he knows what he's doing a little more but uh Overall, yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm really excited to see what he does. Uh, that was one of Jones's 10 snaps on the day. Nine of them were in pass rush, one in run defense. Um, so he didn't have a ton of chances to prove himself in this game, but it's always good to get that first sack um, as a D lineman, get your confidence going. Because, uh, again, it's just football. Like you don't, have a, you don't have a lot of chances to prove yourself all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. It was one of three Oregon sacks on the day, KT getting the other two. Um, Oregon's pass rush, pass rush all night was was bothering Wazoo. They didn't do a whole lot when we had um, opportunities to, like, you know, actually uh, use our blitz to get to them. When they had to wait more than, like, three or four seconds, well, really three seconds, uh, they weren't having a ton of success down the field. They had a few big plays, like the 70-yard the or whatever, but overall I was very impressed with the pass rush. Um and the secondary, I know it's hard to tell on TV, um, but it's, I mean, to hold this Wazoo team, it wasn't like an impressive, like, statistical performance or anything, uh, but 280 yards, you know, that's, that's not bad against a team that pretty much relies exclusively on the pass game to get stuff done. Uh, and going back to this drive, that's exactly what they did. They give it to Borgie on the second play, on second and 18, and he brings it all the way out to, like, midfield almost um they convert two more third downs on this drive uh and eventually in including that 22 yarder uh like you mentioned to Travell harris on third and six um and then they punch it in with delora and just like that it's a tie game yep unfortunate uh again this pretty much feels self-inflicted because before this like i said uh there were like 12 out of the, the 12 plays between the 12 plays for Wazoo's offense between the Delora fumble um, and the die fumble. They had just as many successful plays as they did interception or turnovers. So 
yeah frustrating um reed what was did, did you feel nervous about the outcome of this game at all yet or were you still convinced that we were going to win at halftime um i think i i mean i always feel nervous uh really i mean I, i'm just kind of that's how i how i watch games i guess um but i felt good about this team's approach and i think that was shown in the second half uh it was it was scary to be tied at 14 it was frustrating that it felt like we were that close to putting the game away and now it was tied again um but ultimately i think it showed that this this team is just pretty mature they play with a lot of poise in close games um they've done that all year and that's really big i think it would be easy to get tight and force things and kind of let things snowball in the second half um and turn you know keep looking back to being up 14-0 and and just oh this game should be over and you throw a pick and you know whatever happens and and you all of a sudden you're down two scores um but instead the approach was clear and Cristobal pretty much outlined it in the second half or in the in the postgame press conference was that for the second half you know they they're saying hey this is what we talked about all week this is a game where we're going to have to execute the whole way it's going to be close it's going to be a fight um and so this team just seemed very comfortable being in a tie game um against Mm -hmm. a solid opponent and just like we know what we have to do and we're capable of doing it um so let's go out and execute and and that was kind of what happened how did you feel about things at halftime pretty similar like I'm always a little bit nervous, um, but honestly, it was kind of similar to Washington last week. Like, I know Wazoo had just put put together that good drive, and they were clearly a better team than Washington was, um, but still, pretty much everything bad that happened was more so a product of Oregon doing something dumb than Wazoo doing something exceptionally good. Uh, with the, yeah. with a couple exceptions, like exceptions of a couple plays, but again, the entire like your big takeaway from the first half should be like uh, Wazoo's offense was terrible until they had a short field, um, and then a great drive to end the half uh, to kill the clock as well. But um, second half yeah. starts. Instantly, I think I'll... Ducks get a spark. Yeah, and I'll just say for me, it's kind of like when it's that close, it's it's more just about, hey, if a few plays go the wrong way, this thing can get bad than it is. I really think Wazoo is going to be the better team. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. But like like you said, I mean, I felt really good as soon as McHale opens it up and gets that 56-yard kick return to start the second half. It's like, okay, settle in. You know, the one thing I just <laughs> didn't want to happen was – a touchback and a three and out and you punt the ball like that would have been a disaster um and turnover with a short field (laughs) right and i think this kind of shows why it is valuable to have mikhail back there returning kicks um maybe not all the time and i know there's injury concerns but look people i mean these games are not always easy to win uh, and frankly, sometimes, you know, a single play here or there shifts the momentum and changes who controls the game. Mikhail did that 
in two games in 2019 versus USC and Oregon State. Um, and this is another moment where it's like, who knows how this game looks without that Mikhail Wright return? It is a huge play that only he seems like he's capable of right now on this team. There, There's some other good playmakers who could do it in the future, but he's really special in that return game. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was huge. You get the ball moved your 40 yards away from scoring, basically, because of that play. Like That is a massive, massive momentum shifter out of the locker room. 100%. Um like you said, Ducks get the ball in Wazoo territory. Uh, all of a sudden, it's a successful pass, a first down run, another successful pass, another first down run. And at that point, the Ducks are already at the Wazoo 17. Brown with an amazing uh, – it was a scramble, right? Not a designed run. This yeah. 17-yard scamper. Um, I believe, yeah. Clips the pylon. Was there any concern for you about uh, a Delora situation, like fumbling it out for a touchback, or was it was that just no. Rod Gilmore using propaganda? Yeah, I think that was just Rod Gilmore. I was pretty confident he had the he had control of the ball the whole way, and I I knew it. It came came out only when he hit the ground, or maybe if it maybe he hit the pylon and that caused it to go out. But I I was pretty confident he didn't lose it during the dive. He wasn't getting caught. He, he wasn't getting hit in the same way as he dove that would jar it loose so i felt good about it nice nice um wazoo gets the ball back uh they get a pair of first downs and then the drive stalls even though they're helped by a third and seven delay of game penalty on the defense that moves to third and two um and then i believe on the next play uh i think it was dorless who gets in um dolores face and forces the uh broken up the screen pass at the receiver's feet which is something we saw multiple times throughout this game um mm-hmm. i think that's a pretty interesting strategy that, that the ducks have been employing like they're still willing to blitz into a third and short situation like a screen situation um because i mean if you have like a physical wall between the quarterback and the running back or the receiver whoever's receiving the screen um it's it's still a pretty like it's still very difficult to complete that play. Um, Reed, yep. something that no, I didn't see anybody talking about, but uh, a question I want to pose to you. So Wazoo's at fourth and two at this point. Um, they're down a touchdown, not quite midway through the third quarter, about a third of the way through it. Um, and they punt the ball deep instead of going for it on fourth and two. What are... Do you have any thoughts on that, or is it just an okay punt in your mind? I think it's I think it's a fine punt. Um, it's certainly like the traditional thing to do, but honestly, I mean, in my mind, it's like I always kind of think about, well, what is the opponent like? What does the opponent not want you to do? Mm-hmm. And as a fan, like I did not want them to go for it on fourth and two <laughs> because I thought. I thought this offense could execute a drive like they did from anywhere. I just was like, get us the ball back, you know? Um, that was the big – that was what my mindset was. So I was fine with a fourth and two punt. Um, but it's not terrible. I mean, they kind of got what they wanted and pinned a, pinned Oregon down at the five, was it? Or was that a later one? Yeah, no, it was at the five. Yeah. So 
that was it's successful in that regard. But we've seen Oregon complete long drives before this year. They did at Ohio State. Um, I don't. For me, when this offense gets rolling and it's ahead of the sticks, it's pretty successful, like we've said, and and it can do that whether it's from 40 yards away or from Mm -hmm. 80 or 90 yards away, I feel like. So, yes, field position obviously really helps, but ultimately I I thought if Oregon puts together a good drive, they're going to put together a good drive, and and it's going to be successful whether it's from a really long distance away or or whether it's from 60 or something. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. Like, I was a little bit surprised that they went for it here especially just considering the personnel that Wazoo has. I mean, they're obviously very good at uh, quick passes. They're very good at using Borgie and Delora. Um, I believe they had already strung them out on a, uh, an option play that Delora kept for that earlier touchdown. I mean, yep. could have done the exact same thing uh, and probably would have converted. But um, the, quote, analytics say to go for it. It's like a 2% difference in, in mm. winning. Um, but I don't know, like, again, it depends on game state and how each team is playing. And I agree with you, like, according to how each team was doing, I think they should have gone for it either way. Uh, they punt it to the Oregon five and then Oregon puts together what might be their best drive of the game, even though it didn't end in a touchdown. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I think it was, it was massive, right? I mean, you just, what? being tied at half all you really want is just to get that two possession buffer where at least you know one play can't shift everything and so yeah it's a huge drive mm-hmm. uh by the way the ducks got this ball with 952 left uh remaining in the third quarter um and by the time camden lewis camden lewis kicks a 22 yard field goal uh the clock reads two minutes and 54 seconds in the third quarter uh, just an absolutely massive drive. And even though, like, the clock isn't, quote, like, a big factor yet in this game, um, you can make it a factor if you put together drives like this consistently. The Ducks had another, like, six-plus-minute drive um, later in this game, too, I believe. Uh, so overall, um, again, the story was the same. Like, A.B. doing it with his legs. He had two 12-yard runs in the first, like, three or four plays from scrimmage on this one uh he had another uh wasn't a first down run but he had two more like seven and eight yard runs on this drive alone uh there was also the big play to johnny johnson sandwiched in here from midfield um and it's funny because this is the sort of thing where if i was watching on tv uh i would have been just pleasantly surprised at the fact that uh johnson you know made a big play and got a 31 yard catch uh, but in the box, everybody's like, me and the Oregon people around me are like, throw it, throw it, throw it. Like, you can see him all the way that he's going to be open. Uh, mm-hmm. And Brown, honestly, I thought could have thrown that ball a little bit earlier. But uh, you got anything else on this drive? No, I mean, I think it's just good to see him complete that one to Johnny Johnson for 31. Like, And it shows he has the ability to make those passes in certain times. I think some people, the issue with Brown for me is his consistency throwing it. Uh, I think some people confuse that with the idea that, oh, he just doesn't have an arm. He's incapable of completing a pass past 20 yards. He can do it. He just doesn't do it quite consistently enough. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I also think, as you mentioned, the clock management is just an interesting thing with Oregon. Uh, and I think it just speaks to kind of the philosophy for Oregon. It's, I think Cristobal and from what we know about Moorhead, they're kind of like perfectionists. They're so focused on executing really well. And uh, because of that, they kind of just view offense and football and, and this drive in particular, like let's just go out and do everything right on each play and we feel like we can do that so we don't need um that many tries at it and that's kind of contrasted with the offensive philosophy from someone like lane kiffin who views (laughs) offensive football more like gambling you know and it's like yeah let me just get as many i feel like i have an advantage but i feel like um you know i'm only up you know 60 percent or something so let me just roll the dice as many times as i can uh and hope that it shakes out well in the end um chris Wall and and uh moorhead clearly don't view offense in that same way where it's like so where you're kind of just a victim to the variance of what happens they're like no we can we control things we can execute everything the right way and if we do that we can score every single time. So because of that, let's just, you know, completely um, control the ball here and put together a good drive. Uh, And so that's interesting. It's kind of, it's obviously a lot different from even what like Chip Kelly did. So I think it's foreign to a lot of Oregon fans, but despite the games being close, I mean, the record doesn't lie. Oregon is nine and one and, and that's, a good thing for sure yeah man um this is mario's like sec experience right <laughs> you get the lead and you sit on them uh don't worry about the margin of victory just make them feel like they don't have a chance to win by the end of the game um ducks after that big long seven minute drive force a three and out they get the ball back and have another near seven minute drive um so in these two drives Right, so the the second half, there's been three drives now that we're talking about for Oregon. First one was that touchdown in five plays after the big McHale kick return. The second one was that uh, 13 play 91 yarder that we just covered. Um, Very successful, you know, Camden ends up with a field goal from starting at your own four, like you'll take it. Uh, This next drive, 12 plays, 68 yards. Well, and it should have been more than that um, if the the fumble hadn't occurred at the end of it. Um, but those two drives right there, like you go from almost midway in the third quarter, Wazoo thinking they have a ton of time left. You soak up over 13 minutes of clock in two drives. And still, despite being in like, essentially like touchdown scoring situations, you only get three points from those two drives. Uh, yeah. Just from a numbers standpoint, that is incredibly infuriating. Yep. Um, this is the driver we started to see Cardwell break out as well. He had like one touch earlier in the game, but uh, he had the 12-yard run to the 10 to set up the first down before Brown fumbles on the next play. Uh, Reed, we don't need to dive into it too much, and we already talked about it a little bit, but Brown was in the end zone here. Um was he not is, is there any like logical response that you can say he wasn't in the end zone 
No, I think he was. Um, I think he was in the end zone from every camera angle we saw. It seemed I was pretty confident in that. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is, I guess. Um, you still don't really want to fumble the ball there, even if you <laughs> did get across the end zone by a bit. You know, it still might as well just be safe and hold on to the ball all the way. Um, but that said, like, that's this is exactly what Wazoo does. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean, and it was especially frustrating because it's not like they fumble, you know, forced a fumble and just fell on it within the five yard line and yeah. would have had to go 95 yards. No, they pick it up and run down the sideline. Um, it almost felt like they were going to score for a second there just cause it was so yeah. chaotic. Um, I think Chris Hudson comes up and makes yep. a tackle. Um, it was a really scary play, a huge momentum shifter. Um, I mean, it's like the exact same feeling I've had uh, snap over the head against Auburn um, or, you know, and same thing happening against Stanford. Just those plays where it's like, okay, we literally have the game won. We are, I essentially like in my mind, it's like, okay, Oregon has scored the touchdown. I already can see the points on the scoreboard, you know, and Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden it's the other team's ball. Uh, or in other other times they've literally scored and it's like wh- I'm like what just happened? Um, yeah, yeah. But luckily ducks recover pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, KT gets his second sack of the game. It's a big fat nine yarder uh, to force a field goal for Washington State. Um, after we we forgot to mention uh, another big play for Wazoo in the pass game off of. Um, well, the first play after that fumble. But KT saves saves the day a little bit on defense. Wazoo 100%. still gets within one score, but uh, after another Mikhail kick return and another dominant drive for the Ducks, this one pretty much felt like it was over uh, once again at 31-17, was it not? Yeah, completely, especially with that little time left. Uh, felt like it was in a really good spot. Um, again, credit, I mean, same thing that happened coming out of halftime offense, you know, doesn't focus on the fumble and the bad stuff that happened at the end of the half. They're just like, Hey, 14, 14, we have a chance to take control of this game right here. Put together a good drive. Again, you fumble at the goal line that could be totally deflating, lead to a three and out or a turnover where Wazoo comes right back into it. And the offense goes five plays, um, 66 yards and puts the game away uh so i really just like this team's ability to flush the things that just happened and put it behind them move forward and and have a really important drive when they need it exactly yeah and again a lot of that does come from the defense um you know a three-point lead feels a lot less safe than the seven-point lead and it quite literally is as well um, right. Also on this scoring drive for the Ducks, uh, play bo- on the play before the touchdown, Wazoo face mask sets up uh, the Byron Cardwell rush from, from 27 yards out. Uh, penalties were not a huge... I mean, I talked about how Wazoo maybe should have had some more penalties, particularly holding, but uh, the Ducks played a relatively clean game by their standards. Only five penalties for 41 yards in this game. <laughs> yep. Uh, and it seemed like they weren't 
um, especially inopportune this game either. Like there were no like tough pass interference calls that would extend drives, um, anything like that. You know, it was yeah, just which, like oh, which five we, yards here, five yards there. We've seen a few of those this year, obviously. A few, yeah. few tougher. Uh, and in the past against Wazoo as well, we've seen quite a bit of those. Right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, at that point, it's thirty-one seventeen. Five minutes left in the game. It's it's pretty much over. Uh, especially after Delora throws a pick to Brian Addison on the next drive. Um, even though they converted yet another or two more first downs on third down, actually. Um. But yeah, at midfield, Delora pass picked off by Brian Addison, uh, covering the outside. He's filled in pretty well, although in this game he only played, uh, sorry, I had the number and I just lost it. He didn't play that many snaps, is what I'm trying to say. He played 10, same as Jason Jones. Um, we saw a couple different guys out there, though, on defense. I tweeted that uh, Sua Avapoti got a couple snaps. We saw Triquez Bridges, who hasn't been out there for a while. Um, Avante Dickerson got a couple snaps at corner. Yeah, and um, he was in late too. He was he was in on that final drive. Um, yeah, for at least one snap, which was kind of interesting. You know, I mean it. It felt like it was control, but it's not quite garbage time there. I mean, if Wazoo gets a drive, it it does get interesting. So it was mm-hmm. cool to see Dickerson come off the field. Kind of tells you a little bit of insight into the cornerback uh, depth chart and the fact that maybe he's working himself into the mix, especially with Manning kind of shifting to some work at nickel. So, Yeah, exactly. Uh, Manning 11 snaps, um, although 10 of them were logged at corner in this game. Just rotating guys. Keith Brown got 10. You know, it's good for him. Um, but, yeah, at this point in the game, it feels pretty much over. Cardwell punches it in from 22. Uh and then from there, it's just Wazoo like, scoring on just because they can uh, with two minutes left to make it look a little worse than it was. Maybe push the spread for some people. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that caused a little bit of consternation somewhere. Um, but yeah, overall, like if you take out a couple plays in this game, it's a blowout win for the Ducks. Instead, it's just a comfortable win for the Ducks. We've said it so many times now. Just survive in advance. I'm fine with it. I don't care what the final score is. Uh, obviously, it'd be nicer to win by more, but I'm not going to be mad about it. Um, so, yeah. What else did you notice about this game that you want to touch on? Um, I think a big thing is is Noah Sewell. Um, you put it in the notes, yeah. and I saw the same thing. Didn't have a tackle in this game. Um only got on the field on the stat sheet for one pass deflection. I, I felt the same way watching it early on. It just seemed like he wasn't much of a factor in this one. Um and that was kind of weird. Um I don't know what causes that at all. Uh, I think I think a little one, bit of one thing is is scheme I was gonna say. Um I don't know yes, if that's what yeah. you were gonna say. Yeah, yeah I, they you know the run the ball. Yeah, exactly. When they're not running the ball that much, when the passing game is super short in coverage, that that's not really where he excels. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it, it was fine. Um, but it definitely, he wasn't quite the, you know, breakout player at all that he usually is. Um, I'm not too worried about it long term. I think that 
it would have been nice. You know, sometimes he just makes those freakish plays where he tracks along the whole width of the field and makes a tackle on a running back. And, and those were some of those ones where, where, um, wazoo running backs kind of squirted out on the edge where it's like hey man if if noah could have just made a freakish play there obviously that would have helped and got oregon off the field maybe but that was something to note but also something i'm not terribly concerned about i don't know if you feel differently no i'm not concerned about it uh in the press conference it was really funny somebody asked um cave thibodeau like it's pretty rare that you see noah sewell get like zero tackles uh, in a game, Kayvon was like, what? He had, did you say he had zero tackles? It's <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> the stat sheet says. He's like, oh, shit, like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I think, uh, again, the biggest thing that Kayvon kept emphasizing and um, what I think the biggest factor was for this defense is just chemistry. Uh, despite all the injuries that this team has gone through and especially the defense, losing guys like Bennett Williams, Justin Flo, Drew Mathis, and others, obviously. Um, they really gelled into a solid group. I mean, we talked about a lot of different instances in the last two two weeks and this entire season where the defense kind of saves the day um, when the offense doesn't have things chugging. The offense mm-hmm. is kind of like a gamble at this point, I feel like. Uh, like it's sort of a crapshoot. And defense is always sort of like that, just by the nature of not controlling what the offensive play call is uh but i feel more confident in this defense to get a stop than an offense to get a score and that's a little bit concerning for me down the stretch um especially considering some of the places oregon will have to play in upcoming weeks but uh or at least teams that they'll have to play as well um so it's just something to think about but overall this was a solid win not too concerned with anything avoided injuries which was a big one yeah uh, and suspensions and stuff hukulani avoids the targeting penalty at the end which again like somebody on twitter said like the pac-12 refs are just taking every single chance they get to involve themselves like a little bit more in this game um it's like the one guy who doesn't want to leave the party uh and just kind of sticks around when everything's dead already um so that was sort of annoying but uh yeah, we'll take the win. It was a solid win. Uh, you want to do MVPs? Yeah, I will say real quick, too, just your your point on the defense uh, being kind of such a good, complete unit is interesting. And I just have the, the sheet up for defensive grades on PFF, and it's it's pretty cool to look at this group. You know, 24 guys played in this game, and I can honestly say, like, there are at least 20 guys on here that I feel really good about um, at least have some, you know, serious thing that they're able to contribute a skill set that's a real plus for this team. And so it's, it is a really good, deep, well-rounded group on defense. Um, I feel really good about it. I feel like uh, it's cool to have kind of so many good players, and then you have the few stars uh, mm-hmm. who really emphasize the impact. You know, Thibodeau, Dorless, R2 on the interior. Um, McKinley and Mikhail Wright, obviously, in the secondary, and then Noah Sewell at linebacker are real impact players. Those are the guys who you're playing Madden or something. They have the little star under them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and But overall, it's a, it's a really good unit, and I agree with what you said. You know, it probably late in the game, 
it's three-point game either way or something would i rather have the defense on the field or the offense potentially the defense um especially against a really good opponent um and so that's an interesting thing to say but also just as is positive for this defense they've they've been good and um i'm excited about this group i think Looking forward past this year, too, you know, you potentially lose a guy like Kayvon, uh, Mikhail Wright, um, which are big hits. But there's just a lot of good, deep recruiting on this whole team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that um, looking forward, it's just going to be about identifying a few more guys to step into those impact roles. But I feel really good about the long-term health of this roster just in terms of having you know, go 20 or 30 deep even with guys that you feel really good about playing in power five level games is a real big positive that wasn't true of this roster five years ago. A lot of guys who just don't feel like they're going to give up uh, or get embarrassed on a certain play. You know what I mean? Obviously, especially with guys in the secondary, like there are some plays where you're just going to get hit with a pass interference or you're going to get hit with a big play over the top eventually. Um, and a lot of times that's not even like their fault. It's just like a scheme thing. Uh, but again, I mean, you go down the list, guys like Bossa, Swinson, um, Mace Funa, like Adrian Jackson. Yeah, they might have like a couple small slip-ups here and there during the game. But even the backups that I'm mentioning, like, I feel very confident in their ability to make a big play if they have to. Right. Uh, And you can't say that about a lot of defenses in the Pac-12. Yeah. um, Depth-wise. 100%. Yeah, if a guy like Mace Funa's name is called on the edge in a big spot, it's like, I I feel good about that. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's how games are won and lost. You know, you have a third down on the edge, and it's like some dude has to make a tackle, and you you don't always get to set it up where that guy is cave on or no. So sometimes it just so happens that, you know, your, your second string edge guy is out there and he better be able to make it if you want to be able to win those games. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, one more shout out to Verone. He, I think is going to be my defensive MVP uh, covers the onside kick at the end as well. I have a soft spot for hands team. Um, and yeah, Again, the, the no one no tackles thing is funny, but like I'm not concerned about that. If if you're actually like floating that out as a legit talking point, like, oh, is something wrong with Noah Sewell? Like, no, nothing is wrong with Noah Sewell. <laughs> um, sometimes you just have an off game and the offense doesn't run any run plays. Uh, and you don't get a lot of chances in, as an inside linebacker. Yeah, he had a couple missed tackles, but like it's it's nothing concerning. Overall we were in pretty much total control of this game, I think. Oh hopefully it just motivates him a bit and he comes out with just even a little extra fire against utah i think that would be a a scenario we're all fine with sacrificing a zero tackle game if it if he comes out a little extra juice next game uh a return home against utah as well uh being true so hashtag oh man oh i'm already getting excited (laughs) playing against his brother as well right yeah Uh, isn't nephi still on the team so yep yep that'll be really cool uh we already saw that in 2019 with uh Panay against him too but uh all right anything else we got on this game oh we haven't still haven't done mvps yet i guess yeah mvps uh, who other than Verone? kt on defense uh yeah it's between kt and Dorless for me I'll, I'll give it to kt this time but um 
Dorlis is really good. I gotta say, my I was so annoyed with the announcers. Um, in the first half, there was a play where Dorlis got a batted ball down, mm-hmm. and it was just kind of that classic thing where clearly they only know Kayvon's name, uh, yeah. other than the stat sheet, and so they're like, "Oh, but look at how Kayvon just he really creates this." And it's like, <laughs> okay, like yes, they're giving extra attention to him. But also, like, look at Dorless just dominate a one-on-one. And, get, yeah. like, we can give him credit, too, for getting the pass breakup. Not every positive thing that happens on the defense is solely because of Kayvon, even though he's obviously elite. But I'll give it to Kayvon. On the subject of the broadcast real quick, I know we talked about it a little bit earlier, but I forgot to mention this. Um, it was brought to my attention this morning that ESPN was actually dealing with a couple absences from their broadcast crew. Uh, I don't remember, like, I think whoever I had breakfast with, my dad just, like, told me this information, but I don't know where he got it from. Um, apparently their spotter was out, like, the guy who calls out uh, names and numbers for the announcers. So that had a little bit to do with the fact that they didn't know anybody's name. I'm not excusing it. Like, hmm. this is BS. You call yourself the worldwide leader. Like, you should be able to put together a competent broadcast, which they consistently don't for us. Um right. The other thing was uh, they were missing, gosh, some other member of their crew. Who was it? It wasn't like a cameraman, but it was some coordinator or something like that. So they were a little bit short-staffed. So I guess I'll give them a little bit of a break. But overall, actually, no, I'm not giving you a break. You're fucking ESPN. Get it together. Um, (laughs) This is honestly embarrassing. Like, if you're going to take over our sport, can you at least, like, do a good job presenting it to people? Um so yeah uh, it's supposed to be like the one thing they're good at right yeah <laughs> um all right uh enough offensive mvps offensive mvps for me it's got to be brown um he was just an animal all night if you want to give it to cardwell like that's a fine pick too uh but honestly pretty much the only i can only think of three like bad plays from anthony brown in this game off the top of my head two of them were checkdowns behind the sticks and one of them was the fumble that wasn't really a fumble that should have been a yeah. touchdown by the way think... can we talk about how hard he works on that play that that's gonna that gets lost in the shuffle of this play this fumble play um he absolutely drives a pile of defenders for six yards getting to the end zone Mm-hmm. he wanted it tonight i love the way he runs into space uh, especially in the red zone yeah i love uh, i i just think i don't know he gets a little too much hate for me i mean obviously we've talked about that I, it's like why is masoli kind of such a loved figure dude i was literally uh, thinking this last night brown, i'm so glad you brought this up because brown is a dog man like he yeah. that's what i love about watching him play is you know say whatever you want about his arm talent but it's like that dude puts his head down and he is not he invites contact when he runs the ball yeah that's awesome yeah man it's the number one thing that stands out to me when i rewatch the ohio state game like every few weeks um (laughs) he's delivering shots to these like legitimate stars out on the edge um and it's fucking awesome to see and he did it quite a bit last night too so uh, yeah, Brown running the ball is very entertaining to watch. As long as he doesn't fumble it, which for the tenth fucking time, that was not a fumble. Um, <laughs> but whatever, man. Anything yeah. else you want to pull out from this game? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just give my MVP. I'll go with Cardwell since you left him on the board. But uh, yeah. Brown's a great pick. We talked about Cardwell already. Awesome, awesome game from him. He's just going to be a really special running back. Um, and I think uh, he's a really good one-two punch with Die. I think as Cardwell gets more confidence, he's going to be even better. Uh, and mm-hmm. the guys behind him, Seven McGee especially, will be a great compliment for him down the road. So it's like, it's really exciting to have a, it's been a while since Oregon's had a running back this talented who you've seen as a freshman. Like, I was going to say, just, who's the last guy you've been excited about as an underclassman at running back? Probably Royce. Royce. Yeah. Probably Royce. Um, we're like, yeah. Yeah, probably Royce because, I don't know, when Taj Griffin, I guess, like people were excited about. A sore yeah. subject for a lot of he, Ducks fans. Yeah, yeah, he should have gotten more carries. But, um, yeah, I totally agree. The future is very, very bright with Cardwell back there. Um, and every time his name gets brought up as well, uh, Mario has to mention Seven McGee and Trey Benson. So I think a lot of fans will be surprised. Um to see how much they're able to contribute next year as well. Yeah. Uh, enough about next year. Let's <laughs> stick with this year. Not a ton of funky Pac-12 results this week, although we did have uh, a couple very interesting um, ways to get to those results. I, I guess I'll say that. Uh, do you want to start with this Utah and Arizona game? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Did you watch this game? Yeah, yeah, watched this game. Uh, at least had it on a monitor the whole time. Um, pretty pretty weird. Pretty weird <laughs> to see Arizona up at halftime. Uh, yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little bit sus. Um, Plummer was looking like a pretty good quarterback for Arizona for a little bit too long in this game. Um, so that, that was kind of interesting. Uh, we had Utah just looking generally incompetent on offense for a little while. Um, but they ended up pulling out the victory. They kind of just did the, they did what Oregon pretty much would do in that situation and just like sat on Arizona, uh, Mm -hmm. late in the game with some long drives, um, and eventual scores, but they ended up winning it by what? Eight points? I don't have it in front of me right now. Nine points, uh, yeah. Nine points, yeah. It got really funky when there was, in the fourth quarter, blocked blocked Utah punt for a touchdown. Right. And right. Arizona cha- Arizona had a two-point conversion to tie it with ten minutes left. Um, but ultimately, yeah, exactly what you said. They missed the two-point conversion, then Utah puts together a eight-minute, 15-play, 75-yard drive uh, to end the game. So pretty unfortunate um, considering both you and I picked Utah against the spread, which was 24 points. <laughs> Not the picks the this week pick. suffered, man. I, I don't think my strategy of going against my logical picks worked very well for me. But um, one of those results that, that didn't go my way, Stanford at Oregon State, uh, I originally picked the Beavers, as did you. I flipped it to Stanford. That was a terrible decision because Stanford played three different quarterbacks in this game, and I'm not sure any of them made it to 
double digit completions. Um, yeah, they did it not. Was, <laughs> this one was rough. Uh, ends up being Oregon State 35, Stanford 14. It was 14 0 Beavers at halftime. Uh, Beavers are bowl eligible for the first time since 2013. So uh, good for them and good for Jonathan Smith. Uh, is this next Washington head coach, Jonathan Smith? I don't, I don't know if he's going to leave Oregon State for that job. Um, yeah. He worked there I, before. I, no, I know. I mean, I, it's not like I don't think he would. Go, I don't think, it's not that I don't think he would coach at Washington, but I think he just believes in Oregon State a lot as an alum former quarterback and all that. Like, I, I, I think he'd have to get a pretty good offer to leave Oregon State. And I don't know. I mean, Washington is, is, Definitely a more historically successful program, but It'd probably be a more lucrative job as well. Yeah. But, uh, what if USC comes calling? He's got to take that, right? I don't think they will. Yeah. For the record, but like, yeah, I'm trying exa- to think of what the scale is of what job he would take. Um, yeah, exactly. If a USC comes calling, I think it it is a different story. But Washington, I don't know if the gap is quite good, big enough to justify just the pull for him to stay in Corvallis. UCLA? That move the needle? ASU? Either of Maybe. those? Maybe. Not not ASU. Maybe UCLA. I don't know. I don't know. I, I who knows what he's thinking. Yeah. He seems like a pretty loyal guy. Like I, I think he would stay with the right. Raiders, considering what he's built them up from. Uh so good win for them. Beavs get to be bowl eligible. Unfortunately for the Ducks, though, that does mean that uh we have to wait at least another week um to see if we officially win the North. Uh by the way, though, we can clinch it with a win over Utah, if I understand that correctly. Yep. Um, Either result goes the right way for us next week and we'll clinch the North. Yep, yep. Uh Beavers hosting Arizona State next week as well. We'll do next week's picks. Uh during the midweek pod Colorado at UCLA uh both of us took Colorado in this one plus 17 a lot of people uh in the Pac-12 media sphere were picking Colorado even outright in this one um just considering how UCLA manages these games and at halftime it looked like a pretty good pick uh Colorado was up 20 to 10 UCLA hadn't been doing much on offense whatsoever and then in the second half uh dtr exploded i guess um and ucla ends up putting up 44 points holds colorado yep. to zero and it's 37 nothing run yeah what do you make of this yep. game were you able to watch any of it yeah i was able to watch a bit of it but it was overlapping with the ducks game so i was my attention was obviously diverted um I mean, it's kind of funny. It's kind of the classic thing where you just look at the score afterwards and you think, oh, okay, that's about what I would have expected. And if you just do that, you'd miss the fact that Colorado led and looked like they were going to win for large sections of the game. But, yeah, um, yeah uh, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, it continues to make me feel like the Colorado win for Oregon was actually a little better than people thought at the time. Um, and that mm-hmm. giving up 29 to their offense albeit a good portion of that in garbage time isn't quite the black mark that it looked like 
uh, with the offensive output Colorado put up to that point. It seems pretty clear that they turned a corner during that Oregon game uh, and have played better against Oregon State, who they beat, which is a big win, and, and then even just being competitive. And this UCLA game was pretty good as well. Yeah. Uh, since Colorado fired their O-line coach ahead of that Oregon, Oregon game, they've been solid on offense. I mean, even if you look at the drive chart in the second half, uh, where they scored zero points against UCLA. They had one punt on their first possession, then it's a missed field goal, turnover on downs, uh, UCLA punt return touchdown, another turnover on downs, and then a fumble. Um, <laughs> so just a lot of unfortunate miscues going on for Colorado. That being said, like obviously you should score at some point in the second half against this UCLA defense, but uh, I don't know. They could... They could still definitely upset some people, even though they won't be bowl eligible this season. Talking about the Buffaloes. Um, mm-hmm. They have U.S. No, sorry. They have UW next week. Oh, boy. That'll be funny. <laughs> uh, before before they play at Utah on uh, Friday, week 13. So just something to keep an eye on, I guess. Um, elsewhere... Uh, Stanford at Oregon State, or sorry, we already did that one. Arizona State at UW. Reed, this was a brutal, brutal miss on this pick. Um, at, at first, it looked like it was a very like backdoor smart pick. Um, for those who didn't watch or didn't like pay attention to this, how the flow of this game went, um, Washington had this game firmly in hand. They were up 14-0 at the end of the first quarter after scoring on their first two drives. They then pull uh, Dylan Morris, who wasn't playing that bad, for Sam Heward. And from what I understand it, they just had him hand the ball off a bunch. Is that right? Yeah, it was strange. Interesting decision. <laughs> um, even so, UW had... St- still maintained a two-score lead uh, deep into the second half before ASU uh, scores on back-to-back offensive possessions and then takes a pick six to the house to take a two-score lead on Washington. Um, This probably should be the end of the Jimmy Lake era, but as some UW fans pointed out uh, after the Lake suspension last weekend, the suspension basically gives him another get-out-of-jail-free card if they lose this week uh, to Arizona State. And if they lost in this fashion with Lake on the sideline, I don't know if he survives that. Uh, who knows? By the time you're listening to this, maybe he's gone anyways. But uh, Yeah, actually, we're this is live podcasting, and uh, Pete Thamel just tweeted out uh, oh, wow. that Washington is expected to fire Coach Jimmy Lake today. The school will not fire him for cause and plans to pay out the remainder of his buyout, <laughs> which go. is subject to offset. Let's go. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> I'd rather make him pay for it than uh, just let him walk, I guess. Um, wow. That is a gross mishandling of that entire situation by the... Uh, by the Washington Brass, I think it's safe to say. Anyways, um, so yeah, Huskies lose, still cover the five and a half point spread, which is absolutely brutal because uh, they had a garbage time touchdown at the end. Wow. So um, yeah, that's absolutely brutal for us, and especially me because I went 0 for 4 this week. 
What was I? One for four. Uh, one for three, or oh, one, one for yeah, th- one, one and three, yeah, 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 yeah. One and three. Um, all right, well, that's cool, I guess. Uh, <laughs> wait, you were over four? <laughs> yeah, dude, I so, so I picked a perfect slate. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Went back on myself. Oh god, that is too funny. I'm, oh, I'm just my. Scott Frost, man. I, wow. I find a different way to lose each week. Um, oh, yeah. That's too funny. All right. All right. National uh, games. Let's get these out of the way. Yep. Where do you want to start? Well, I'll just start by saying we kind of talked about this going into the week. Excited for a lot of matchups, tests for the top 12 teams. We kind of suspected or predicted that there would be four losses, and we ended up with only two. It was a bit disappointing yeah. in terms of the upset potential. One of potential. them didn't feel like an upset. Honestly, yeah. neither of them felt like upsets. <laughs> right. Um, but we can start in the morning. Uh, I think that Oklahoma finally going down, going down by 13 on a late field goal from Baylor, which is pretty funny, um, felt really good. Uh, it was just like finally this team that's been just scraping by and should have had a loss or two already finally gets what they deserve, lose and lose pretty handily. Really bumps them down. Um, I think it serves the biggest benefit to Cincinnati's chances. Um, yeah. But it also really opens the door for me for Oklahoma State in the Big Ten or in the Big 12 who had a great performance against TCU 63 to 17. Um, Oklahoma State all of a sudden looking like the best team in the Big 12. Uh, and with one loss, that makes them a potential uh, candidate to make the playoff. They have Texas Tech this week. Mm-hmm. Should be a win, uh, favored by 10.5 right now. And then it's, it's Oklahoma, and they've struggled in that matchup, but look they straight up look like the better team right now i would say um yeah and i mean that one loss was a tough road game to iowa state where again they like maybe they converted that first down maybe they didn't um either way it's like it's an excusable loss if they take care of business the rest of the way you know mm-hmm. yep um, and yeah man that was no there were no flukes in that 63 point performance against tcu either i think they had like 700 yards of offense or something like that yeah yeah it looked really good um so if you're looking at the playoff race that's a team that's i think jumped in this in this week a big storyline is they kind of jumped from a fringe team to pretty legit playoff team in my mind you look at um at 538 they have oklahoma state with the sixth best odds to make the playoff right now behind georgia bama oregon ohio state and cincinnati um i think I mean, Cincinnati looks like it has a real shot. Um, unfortunately, their playoff chances are pretty closely tied to Oregon's, I think, mm-hmm. uh, as in they're very much rooting for us to lose. Um, yeah. Something I want to point out about uh, a few teams you just meant- mentioned, and Oregon included, honestly, Alabama as well in this. Um, Alabama, Oregon, I'm just going down the list, Michigan and Honestly, you could put Michigan State in this category, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, all have games coming up in which they won't be, like, they will be underdogs in. Um, 
or at least like expected to lose in in some sense uh remaining on their schedule so i'm curious to see how many of those teams survive those big games Mm -hmm. uh bama's obviously is georgia oregon opens as a two and a half point underdog against utah this week um michigan obviously has to go play ohio state um michigan state does as well if you even consider their playoff hopes still alive which i i still do um yeah no 100 percent you should yeah and then Oklahoma, I just kind of expect to lose another game somewhere. And then Oklahoma State uh, has to play Oklahoma, which they never win. So it's going to be an interesting season. That Bedlam game is going to be one for the ages, I hope, uh, in Stillwater this year. But, yeah. Um, speaking of Michigan, did you get to watch any of that game? Or I, I should say have to instead of get to because it was a tough watch. No, yeah. come on. No, it was a good game. Bro, any game played on that field is just, like, absolutely gruesome this year. Uh, except the Auburn game, I guess. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I did I did watch this game. Uh, yeah, it was it was a good one. Uh, honestly, credit to Michigan for pulling it out. I, I still think, despite Penn State, like you're saying, being a, a pretty ugly team to watch, they are a good team. Um, oh, that team offense is, isn't is great, dominant. but the, yeah. the defense is very good. Um, and yeah, I mean, Michigan found a way to pull it out early. Penn state has a, has a goal line situation and Michigan gets the goal line stand. That's was really, uh, really big for the Wolverines. And then they kind of take control, goes back and forth. Um, Penn state, they kind of are holding Penn state 14 to six for a long time. Penn State finally breaks through with a touchdown and two-point conversion. Then they recover a fumble, uh, and it's like, oh, my God, Penn State got the break. They're going to do this. Uh, and Michigan st- Michigan down three, back against the wall with five minutes left, puts together the drive to, to put the game away and win it. So, Yeah, yeah. the tight end, uh, Eric All, had, had a great play. Um, and that was pretty fun to watch, but... Yeah, you know, Michigan just keeps getting it done. (laughs) That's all I have to say about them. Um, What else caught your eye in this early window? Any of of Florida Samford? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that was insane, Florida Samford. The fact that Samford put up, uh, what what, what did it end at, 52? Yeah, but they had 42 in the first half. 42 points against Florida. That's crazy. Yeah. This Florida team went from almost beating Bama to <laughs> looking god awful against Samford at home. Um, is that even a D one school? Samford? Is that like FCS? They're definitely not an FBS yeah. team. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, anything else in the early window catch your eye? Uh, uh, Mississippi okay. State pulled out the win against Auburn. Right. Was that early or mid? Yeah, that was that early. Was, that was a fun yeah. game. Yeah. Um, let's see. You mentioned Baylor. I mean, moving through the day, like I, a lot of people were excited for the Ohio State Purdue game. Honestly, I, I, I actually bet on Ohio State against the spread in this one. Like I thought they were going to blow them out, and they did. Uh, yeah. The Utah Arizona game was sandwiched in there, so that was very entertaining. Um, Georgia State got a big win over Coastal Carolina at Coastal's place, and I was watching the end of that game. That was very entertaining, actually. Um, there were some big plays there. 
Uh, Florida State getting the win over Miami late. Um, I didn't watch that game, but I heard it was quite uh, entertaining. Something that was very entertaining, Texas Tech hitting a 62-yard field goal to beat Ohio State, or Iowa State, State <laughs> at the death, uh, 41-38. Um, anything else catching your eye from this middle window? I think you got to talk about Georgia Tennessee also. Um, like you said, I mean, it was we kind of were looking to see what how how good Georgia's defense really was against the best offense they faced. Um, and it turned out that outside of that scripted drive to start it off, Georgia wasn't amazing. Um, or I mean, Georgia's defense wasn't that vulnerable. I should say they were amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So that was George definitely continues to look legit. Um, I mean, I thought you you tweeted this out, I think, and I thought it was a good point that you know, despite all the hype about Tennessee's offense, they actually were putting up less points per game than Georgia's offense. Yeah. Um. So I think that's a fair point. Like, yes, Georgia's. I mean, Georgia's looked. All they can do is play the teams they've played and. A lot of them are pretty good teams, uh, but they haven't played anyone with a real, like, they haven't played anything close to the Ohio State offense that Oregon played. I think that's fair to say. But here's Um, the thing, and this also applies to just football in general this year in college, is like, there's, the the best offenses are complete anomalies um, from the rest of the sport right now. And the best teams are, the best team is too. Uh, I tweeted out something else, like, everyone is overrated. I should revise that to say everyone but Georgia is overrated. Um, This team is legit, and there's no team you can put at number two that seems like a number two when you compare them to number one, if that makes sense. Uh, So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Certainly no one fits that category, but I, I will also just say, like, Georgia scares me a lot less than than 2019 LSU did. Uh, hmm. Just because I think there's a world in which you can just play an ugly game with them like Clemson did, and the ball can bounce your way. You know, you get the breaks, and because it's low scoring, um, you're able to maybe pull off the upset. Whereas with, with LSU, it's just like, okay, we're going to have to score 45 against mm-hmm. a pretty good defense. Like, I don't know yeah. if that's going to happen. Um, but Georgia is still totally legit and the f- clear favorite for a reason. And, I mean, they have Georgia Southern and Georgia Tech left before the SEC title game. So you can pretty much write in pen 12-0 and for the Georgia Bulldogs. And uh, you can probably write them in pen in the playoff. I mean... I think uh, I don't want to jinx anything for you, but it would have to be a pretty disastrous loss to in the SEC title game for them to fall out of the top four. I feel like, yeah, is that safe definitely. to say? Oh yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it would be an all-time collapse, and just because it's Georgia, like people are reluctant to say that, but I mean, they play Charleston Southern next weekend and then georgia tech the weekend after that um i'm not concerned about either of those as legitimate threats um (laughs) yeah 
All right, anything else uh, from this day that you found interesting for in the Pac-12 ones? Ole Miss beating A&M is notable, but yep. didn't feel like an upset. Yeah, it was notable that it didn't feel like an upset, I think. Um, and, I mean, A&M was a team kind of squeaking their way into the playoff talk, and that was completely ended. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, all those SEC teams are – Ole Miss, A&M, uh, Auburn, are, they're fine. They're pretty good, um, but they're not, like, that crazy. Uh, I think it is interesting, though, um, looking at the ACC result, NC State, Wake Forest. Yeah. Really close game, and, dude, I mean, people just have to remember, Mississippi State basically murdered NC State. Yeah. Uh, so... I think I'm not really that interested in a ACC playoff team at all. Um, no, maybe. Yeah, uh, I don't <laughs> think that's that talked about. Anyways, um, Notre Dame dominating Virginia is kind of a story, but Virginia's quarterback is was out for that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it benefits benefits Cincy that that win is good. Um, yeah, playoff playoff scenario is getting interesting for sure. I think the assumption right now is, um, you know, Oregon is in if they get in. Big Ten is kind of a round robin, and people assume one team will squirt out of that as a one-loss champ, but who knows if that will happen. Ditto for the Big 12. Like, people assume Oklahoma or maybe Oklahoma State will have one loss, but that could, you know, all it takes is Oklahoma losing at Iowa State or the championship game again to Baylor, for instance, and mm-hmm. um, Oklahoma State losing in Bedlam, which they usually do. I don't know. It could shake. Both Big Ten and Big Twelve could shake out a lot of ways. That would be interesting. Um, but yeah, I want to ask you a question about uh, the actual bottom of the top twenty-five. Uh, regarding Utah. Utah being ranked is actually kind of an important thing for Oregon going forward. Um, it really shouldn't be because, again, like, as we say all the time, like, 25 teams is just an asinine number of teams to choose to focus on. There's, like, yeah. genuinely no reason that we should only be talking about the top 25 or, or just the top 25 at all, really. Um, Utah was sitting at 24 after last Tuesday. Uh all the teams around them, like from 20 through 25, all won kind of close games, um, including Utah. And then maybe there are some teams that feel like they might be deserving of jumping into the top 25. Is that a concern for you um, right now? Like, do, did, do you think anyone actually watched the Utah game and like <laughs> knows that they played terribly against Arizona? Um, and a follow-up, nah. like, do you think they'll be dropped if they lose to Oregon next week? Um, I... Th- in a game they're favored in, by the way. Yeah. Um, you know, I th- well, one, I think they will stay in the rankings on Tuesday. Um, getting dropped versus Oregon is definitely interesting, though. Uh, I mean, right now you just look at these rankings. There aren't any four-loss teams in here. So it would be a statement if Utah stays in with a fourth loss to Oregon. Um, Maybe that changes next week and and 
another four loss team emerges that stays in. But that's there's there's also like three teams from sixteen through nineteen lost, being NC State, Auburn, and Purdue. Uh, Auburn and Purdue will now have four losses, so maybe that's a good gauge actually uh, to see where they land, see if either yeah. of those teams are still ranked. Purdue, I don't think would be same with Auburn honestly with the way they they lost that game uh but NC State will now have three losses so again I I guess we'll just wait and see what happens there um but yeah just something to keep an eye on I guess uh for when the rankings come out something other than Oregon to keep an eye on I guess um and no other Pac-12 teams are threatening to jump into the top 25 as per usual um, any other games you want to point out from this weekend? No, I think we're I think we're good on games from me. You have anything from the games? Oh, dude, how have we not talked about Kansas and Texas, man? Oh, right, an all-time classic game. Uh, Kansas Jayhawks 56, 57, Texas Longhorns fifty-six. Um, we don't need to do too much like talk about texas but like do you think sark survives this season i mean if he's still around today he's still gonna stick around right for next yeah year? i don't i don't think that i don't think they should fire him i think that that stuff just gets a little too out of control sometimes you gotta keep some stability man and um yeah it doesn't look great but he hasn't gotten any chance to get his guys in there uh but that said, it's it's off season that where you need serious changes and and to fix whatever's gone wrong. But I don't think he should be let go right now. Um, but I do I do definitely love the Big Twelve fans chanting SEC. Oh yeah, that's at the awesome. Oklahoma and Texas games. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's great. I agree with you. I think in general, coaches have uh, too short of a leash sometimes. Um, when it comes to getting fired too early, especially down south, if you consider Texas the south. Um, I, I also brought it up because it might be interesting considering the Pac-12 landscape, uh, as it looks like half of the coaching jobs in the Pac-12 might be open by the end of this season. Uh, we already have quite a few of them. So um, again, like these national things are worth keeping an eye on uh, more so than just for the football. Like, there's there's a lot of important stuff that goes on in the background uh, for these teams each week. So, um, it's always better to be a more well-rounded fan, you know? Uh, all right, then. If that's all the results, um, Reed, do you have anything else to say before we get out of here? Uh, I'll just give my our little kind of picture just about this coming week and what... Um kind of get prepped for this Utah game a little bit two and a half point underdog I'll just say like this is the week we've been hoping for for a long time man uh Mm -hmm. Ducks came out and obviously early season they win against Ohio State they lose against Stanford uh you can go back and listen to our podcast after the Stanford game and during that bye week there's a lot of uncertainty in the fan base at that time that is reflected in our thoughts um and ultimately Ducks through up and down performances have gotten to nine and one. They've gotten to this Utah game that everyone had circled, um, and Utah's legit. Uh, you know, two and a half point underdog. I think 
for me, the biggest storyline is just, look, this team's talked a lot about wanting to make a playoff. Um, and I'm looking directly, especially at Kayvon. He's a guy who had his first breakout game uh, really in a major way against Utah in that Pac-12 title game in 2019. This is his time to take over. Uh, he has an opportunity to have a real physical advantage in this game um, and and be really disruptive. Uh, and I think, you know, this is a moment where uh, if Kayvon is able to do this and this team is able to do it and we get to a playoff, it's really awesome and, and Kayvon becomes... Uh, this kind of awesome story he already is you know but I think uh, it would be unfortunate if if you sign that number one player and you don't get to make get him to a playoff during his time here because uh, he's a generational guy so yeah you just big test big big test on the road um, I know Salt Lake City is going to be rocking uh, I know they're going to treat it as a really big game um, and a lot of fan a lot of national commentators are talking about how Utah is actually the best team in the Pac-12 how they don't think Oregon can you know maybe make it past this this test uh at least twice against them so i think a lot of people kind of you know every week we see Oregon gets that spot in the top 4 uh and i think people kind of brush over oregon they assume it will sort itself out and there's probably a loss there i don't think they take oregon super seriously long term i think this the weekend people have circled um and yeah it's just take it week by week and this is a huge one to try to win Mm -hmm, definitely real quick on cave on i noticed this last night i'm not sure when this changed but uh in his um Honest, if you're on your phone, go check out Kayvon's Twitter account right now. Uh, his header is a it's a blurb from some ESPN article or something that says like Kayvon Thibodeau won't win the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> so I love that like <laughs> wear your heart on your sleeve like motivation wise. Um, that's awesome. Another like oh and and on Kayvon as well, considering the lack of like legitimate Heisman candidates that this year is producing. I think Bryce Young is still in the driver's seat, even though he like, I mean, he's not having what would usually be considered a Heisman worthy season. Um, Is it, could we possibly see KT get an invite to New York? Do you think, is there any shot? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I kind of don't think so. Just based on how much time he's missed. Uh, I think it's kind of too late for him to do it. And there's just not going to be a Heisman moment because of his time at um, him missing Ohio State. And I think also, like, if you're going to give a defensive player an invite, it's Jordan Davis or Will Anderson. Um, So I don't think so, sadly. I think maybe he could have if he was there for the Ohio State game. But uh, I don't think so. I'll also just say I, I kind of this game... Early on, I was I was excited by Dye's performance. Got the two touchdowns. I think the fumble kind of put a real real damper on the Dyesman campaign. Sadly, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> it was a pretty pretty brutal mistake from a guy who's who would potentially be the leader of this team and and is a leader, but um, can't be doing yeah, that. That's pretty unfortunate. Um, Mario wasn't too happy about it either. We saw Cardwell get a lot more carries after that. 
uh, Reed, before we go, one more um, very, very high up level thing. Um, if we talk about Oregon as a program and their program history, this week against Utah, we have a chance to get a 10-win season for what I believe will be the 13th time this millennia uh, or millennium since 2000. Um, really? Four of those came under Mike Bellotti. We had, is that including bowl games? Yes. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, four of those under Bellotti, four in Chip's four years, two from Helfrich, uh, and then this would be Cristobal's second. Um, Mario Cristobal is off to a very hot start as an Oregon coach. Again, it's really hard to compare him to a guy like Chip Kelly because Chip didn't just have success immediately at Oregon. He changed the standard of the program within two years. Um it's taken a little longer with Mario than it did with Chip. He's also not reinventing the sport in front of our eyes. Um, at what point for you does Cristobal pass Chip in terms of, like, Oregon legacy? Uh, does it have to be a natty? Would the playoff appearance get you there this year? Um, would we have to see it continue for multiple seasons past this? Like... Do you have a bar, like a standard? Uh, I think it's. I think either he has to win a natty or do this type of thing for like ten years. Uh, be have a contending program for like ten years because Chip is just. I mean, even though Chip is only there for for four years, um, he really uh, his impact on the program is felt through the Helfrich era, I kind of include as chips, I guess. Maybe that's not totally fair, but I don't know. Um, (laughs) It's basically basically six years of Oregon being in serious contention for a national title and having not only that, but having like a very legitimate claim to being the best or at least a top three team in the country every single year. Um, mm-hmm. that's just pretty insane. We're I don't think we're close to there with Cristobal yet. Uh, but that said, one national title would mean you know everything for this program. Um, and but I also think that the him Cristobal being around for a long time, uh, and keeping Oregon in contending status for a long time is a is a good possibility. I think uh, this is a huge year. You know, I mean, you go off. 2019 was hugely successful. I don't think anyone had a bad thing to say about Cristobal really after 2019. Um, yes, the offense was not great at times, but people blamed Arroyo pretty clearly, and it was a good OC hire and all of that. Then last year was kind of, I mean, it it was worrying, you know. Um, lost yeah. games you shouldn't have lost, and. Uh, I think it just feels really good to come out this year and uh, have the season that we're having. Um, Last year was built... the best bad season you could ask for. Yeah. And it was so weird, and, and I'm I'm willing to dismiss it in some part. I mean, I, I don't completely wipe it out of the way because 
still, you know, regardless of everything, we still did line up on the field against Oregon State and Cal and lose with better rosters than they have. And that's yeah. just shouldn't have happened. But hey, th- we're, we're in this year now. It's it's exciting. And honestly, I just again, like we said, going into the Wazoo game, enjoy it because you got three games here with a chance to make a playoff. Um, we're back here. We're finally we made it back after 2019. We were in the same spot and it didn't go the right way. And so, mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah, let's just enjoy it. Um. All right, we are hitting two hours exactly as I speak, and uh, I think that's a good good cutoff point. So go check us out on Twitter, at DucksPod. Send us any questions or anything you want us to talk about. We'll be sure to hit it. Um, both of our handles are in there as well. Reed, do you know what you might have upcoming uh, with Scoop Duck? Um, I'm not sure exactly what I'll be doing. Uh, it's kind of recruiting coverage, so we'll see how things evolve. You know, I... I think um kevin coleman Jaden wayne were on campus we didn't really touch on that recruiting aspect of this game but um we'll we'll i'm sure get updates on that stuff out on the site and just keep tracking mm-hmm. it i think uh oregon state game in two weeks shaping up to be a big visit weekend uh i'm still putting out some stuff on on the 2023 class doing some recruiting previews and stuff um so yeah check all that out over on scoop duck what about you what what work are you up to Basketball is big. Basketball is starting. Um, I don't know if you had any chance to catch any of the Ducks basketball games yet, men's or women's, but um, the teams look pretty damn good this year. Uh, usually mm-hmm. it takes a little bit for Altman's guys to warm up, but it seems like we're starting off hot. So hopefully we can keep that going. Um, I'll be writing for the Daily Emerald about that. So go check that stuff out. My game recap is up from last night as well. Um, and it's not just me. There's a lot of good guys doing hard work there. So check that out. Uh, and yeah, that's, uh, that's all I got. You want any of that UCLA basketball game? You see any of that against Villanova? Uh, no, I wasn't watching. I was, I was focused on the, um, on the U S win over Mexico, man. Oh, of course. Dos Acero was awesome. (laughs) That was Um, awesome. Big soccer podcast for real. Uh, so, yeah, UCLA got that big overtime win. Huge for conference perception and everything. Um, although it makes people like Carlos say stuff like, the gap between UCLA and the rest of the Pac-12 is enormous. It's cavernous. It's like, all right, bro. I, I love I love people who literally did everything possible to discredit Oregon's win on the road against Ohio State that they didn't trail for a single second, come back and tell me that an overtime win at home against Villanova in basketball uh, <laughs> completely cements yeah, UCLA yeah. as the best team in the conference. Yeah, when there's like 30 games a year in, in basketball and you play 12 in football. Yeah, yeah and we also sense. just know how much higher variance basketball <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> Upsets happen all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right, sweet. Well, with all that being said, uh, we will sign off now and I will go to work. Go Ducks. Go Ducks.